Today we'll be reading from the book of Acts, chapter 4, starting in verse 23. That's Acts, chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant, us to, and grant to us and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out with your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. May God bless the reading of his word today to his people. Please be seated. There's a... Um... 74-year-old guy that lives in Atlanta, Georgia right now, but he's not a natural-born American citizen. He was actually born in East Germany, and he went on to uh, get his degree in Germany at a university in Germany in chemistry and became proficient in information technology later in the United States as well. But what's unique about him is that when he was attending university in Germany in his senior year in 1969, he was told of a, that, that he was contacted by someone and said, hey, we want to talk to you about a job offer that we have. So why don't you meet us off campus so we can discuss it? Well, when he went to go talk to the person about what he thought was going to be a job offer, it turned out to be a KGB agent that was recruiting him to serve as a spy in the United States. They gave him 24 hours, essentially, to just make a decision. You're in or you're out. And he said he was in. And so this guy, Jack Barsky, after having accepted the role, he went on to uh, gain additional training in um, Morse code. That, obviously dates it a little bit, but in Morse code, in cryptography, and of course, he had to take um, extensive classes in English, and he went on then to come to the United States and spend 10 years as a spy in the United States for Russia until he was discovered and arrested by American authorities. Now, this kind of spy is what's known, uh, what's known as a sleeper agent. Maybe you've heard that term before. But the whole concept behind being a sleeper agent is that someone 
goes into a foreign land and lives the life with the locals of the, the foreign land and participates in what appears, you know, largely, for the most part, in normal life. However, when they're activated, they make contact with the sending country, the enemy country, so that they can get information and then they go on to, you know, they continue on to live their normal life in that foreign land. But their tie is always to this other country and there's intermittent contact that's being uh, made to funnel information to that, uh, to that nation. And in one sense, you could even say that Christians are a little bit like a sleeper agents, uh, because we too have a long-term assignment in a foreign land. This is not our permanent home. In fact, in Hebrews 13, 14, it says, for here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. In Philippians 3:20, it says, our citizenship is in heaven. And in John 18, 36, Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So if you are a believer, if you're a, a Christian, then you, and you are a member of that kingdom of Christ, there is a sense in which you are living a life, a long-term assignment, if you will, in a foreign land. Here you are. You're going to spend your whole life here, right? But this really isn't your lasting home. This isn't the final place. But we're also not like a sleeper agent at all. Not only because we're not here to accomplish criminal purposes, to undermine. The, the way in which we are not a sleeper agent is that we are not intermittently activated to accomplish the primary purpose, the primary objective. Christians are not on standby, waiting for that time that, okay, now I'm supposed to act and then go back to living the life as if you belong in this world. You belong to the kingdom of God full time and your life should demonstrate that you are an activated member of that kingdom even though you are assigned throughout the entirety of your life in this particular land. And what we're gonna see here in these verses in Acts chapter four is that there are two habits of an activated Christian. The ones that don't say, hey, I'm on standby. The ones that are truly engaged in living out their identity as a Christian. And that first habit is that they gather together. That's what activated Christians do. They gather together. And so if you would grab your Bible and just turn back a few pages, remember we're in Acts, so I'll remind you again, this is the very beginning of the age changing from the, the time of the temple to the church. And so we have just this, this nascent um, um, days of the church itself. These are the very beginnings. And so when we turn back to Acts chapter 1, so right at the very beginning of the creation of the church itself, we see in Acts 1, verses 12 to 14, so this is right after they've decided on who, uh, you know, 
to, uh, on replacing Judas in the apostles. And so this is what happens in Acts 1, verses 12 to 14. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas the son of James. In verse 14, all these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So we see right here at the very beginning when they're doing some of the most important work, the apostles themselves who are part of the foundation of the church, they're replacing that 12th uh, spot that was vacated by Judas Iscariot after that happens, the very first thing that they do is they gather together. We see this list of apostles that come together and who it is that they come together with. They, uh, they all come together with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer with the women, with Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Then if you just turn a page over to Acts chapter 2 and verses 42 to 47. Here we have, this is immediately after Pentecost. So again, the church is taking its shape. They've now already received the Holy Spirit through Pentecost. And then look what it is that these believers do. Verse 42, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. Watch what's happened. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So again, we see that in that first um, chapter of Acts that they came together with one accord, with one mind to pray to God. Then we see them come together and they're devoting themselves to each other. They're breaking bread together. They're participating in the Lord's Supper. They're participating in worship together. They're taking care of each other's needs. They're going into each other's homes. We see this unity taking place within the family of God. As the church is getting off the ground, one of the very first habits that we see is that they are actually physically together. And then now we get to our, our first verse today, which is Acts 4.23. So remember, Peter and John had just received, this is what we identified last time as the first example of persecution in the New Testament, essentially, for the New Testament church. After Peter and John healed the man in the temple court, then they were brought before uh, the Sanhedrin, and after being persecuted, what did they do? And then they were released, and what did they do? We see it right here in verse 23. When they were released, they went to their friends. The first response is to go to their friends. Now, I want to point out to you as well, now I'm reading from the ESV. I haven't looked at what the other versions have said here as well, but I can tell you from looking at the Greek that it doesn't say friends. It actually says to their own. 
In other words, to their own people. And I kind of like that even a little bit better. There's nothing wrong with friends, but they, when they released, they went to their own people. And I like that concept in light of what we're looking at here is that when they get together, they're getting together with their people, their kindred. There is something unique. They're, they're sharing just like that verbiage in Acts chapter 1 where they came together to pray and they had one accord. And so Peter and John were released and then they went to their own people. And what did they do when they got there? We see that uh, in verse 24. So it says, well, let me go back to 23. When they were released, they went to their own people and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, of course, that they, being their own people, they lifted their voices together to God. So immediately, Peter and John come to their own people and report, this is everything that's happened. This is the persecution that we endured. We've been released, but this is how we were treated. It was wrong. What should we do? Let's all join together and lift our voices to God. And so we see that this first habit is that they come together and the underpinnings of what goes on when they come together is first of all that they are praying. In fact, you may be uh, familiar with Proverbs 27.10 that says, um, uh, Proverbs 27.10 that says, Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. And I know that's a general principle that's given to us in Proverbs, but the application here to what we're talking about is that we have blood relatives and we consider family to be, you know, most of us to be some of the closest things in this life. But there is someone who sticks closer than a brother, and it's your brother and sister in Christ. And the ones that you are near are the ones that share your burden. The people sitting in this room are the ones that physically hug each other. When you have, when the bottom is falling out for you, the world is crashing down, when something completely surprising happens to you, this is where we come together and we turn to each other. These are the people that are praying for you, that say, let us lift our voices up together. Let's pray right now for what's going on in your life. And that principle in Proverbs is at work along with this habit that we see with an activated Christian, which is you're with your own people. You're there at worship. You're there for them. We all know that we have friends, we have acquaintances, we have people that we spend time with. You might work in a career for multiple decades. And so you're sharing lunch every day with the same group of people. You're, you've got jokes, you've got shared experiences. But when you have something happen, are they there for you? And I would suggest that what we find a lot of times, if you've had these experiences like I've had, is uh, people you think are your friends turn out to be very disappointing. They're not there when you think they're going to be there for you. And that's not what happens with true believing Christians within particularly a local church body. We're there for each other, we gather together, and the characteristic of that is that we pray. In fact, in Romans 15, I'll read to you Romans 15, verses five to seven. 
Romans 15, verses 5 to 7 says, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. You hear this together speak? Endurance and encouragement live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. This, I mean, all of these terms, endurance, encouragement, harmony, it all takes place with one another in one accord, one voice, and all of that glorifies God. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. So that first habit is that we gather together, and the first characteristic, basically, of that habit is that we pray together. And I just want to throw out there, brothers and sisters, this church has a prayer service. We, after we're done eating, we're here for just one more hour. One more hour. And we come together, and everything that I'm describing, that's what we do. It the prayer service, it's not like a secret Santa set up where we say, well, you know, somebody's praying for me, but I don't know who it is. You know, like the gift thing, like, hey, somebody's given me a gift, but I don't know who's got my name. We're here sharing each other's burdens. When you hear what's going on in other people's lives and we're praying for each other or we're hearing each other pray for each other, there is something unique going on there. We're fulfilling, we're carrying out a tradition we're practicing a habit that we see in the early church, which is that they came together with one accord and one voice and lifted their voice to God. And that's what we're doing. We're wanting to create an atmosphere where we come together, we know what's happening in each other's lives because we care, and then we pray for each other and we lift our voices together to God. Now, the other part of this, the other uh, uh, Thing that kind of underpins that coming together besides prayer is then there's this sense of trust. But what precedes that trust that I want to point out is the fact that the adversary and the world also knows the value of coming together. If you'll remember from last week's message when we looked at the persecution that Peter and John endured, a couple of the benefits that we saw that are come out of being persecuted one was, remember, it brings clarity, because as soon as truth is spoken, all of a sudden, just like this half-court line right here, a line is drawn, and you're either on one side or the other, right? As soon as somebody lays down the truth, you find that clarity comes into place. And then the other thing that we find is that it creates unity. Remember that? In two different ways. It certainly creates unity among believers because when truth is proclaimed, it will either attract or it will repel. One of those two things is going to happen. And so what will take place, particularly in the context of persecution, is that there will be unity among those that oppose the gospel. So all of a sudden we see people that were never, that were never uh, partners all of a sudden are coming together in opposition against that. And that's exactly what takes place in the content of the prayer of Peter and John's own people that they're reporting to. So we know that what they did is when they came together, they lifted their voice together towards God, to God. But, but follow with me what it is that they pray. So this is um, Acts 24, starting, uh, I'll just 
I'm sorry, Acts 4, starting at verse 24. When they heard it, they lifted up their voice together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you appointed, uh, anointed rather, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever you had in your plan and, and predestined to take place. This is what I'm getting at. They quoted a portion of Psalm 2 that was a prophecy about the persecution, the opposition that was going to come against Christ. Think this through for a second. Peter and John endured persecution. They report this to their own people. All of them together lift their voices to God, and then in the content of their prayer, they acknowledge that Christ and now the apostles in a lesser way have experienced that opposition, and they're declaring the Psalm 2 prophecy, why did the Gentiles rage? and the people's plot in vain, and, and the kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered against. And we're seeing that take place. So essentially what they're doing is acknowledging that this was all part of the adversary's plan as well, but God's plan is a bigger plan. And so they're acknowledging that the world unites itself in opposition to the truth, and they even name names. They say, generally... Here's this prophecy that the Gentiles and the, the kings of the earth themselves, the rulers are gathered, and all of them would be against the anointed, and then they name Herod and Pontius Pilate. Essentially, these are the two people that are the leadership, the representatives of these two groups. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. See, they're naming, they're, those are the only two groups. You're either, you're you're, an you're a Hebrew, you're an Israelite, you're a Jew, or you're a Gentile. And they're, they're referencing this opposition that takes place. They're naming the names that actually carry that out in opposition to Christ. And yet, look at the context in which all of that is set. At the beginning of their prayer, their prayer they say, Sovereign Lord. They start by saying, Sovereign Lord, and then they end it down in verse 28 by saying, to do, you know, talking about what they were doing against the anointed, but it's put in the context of to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. Do you do this? Does this sound like your prayers? Where you acknowledge the evil that is real and that actually existed, but it's always contained, it's always in the setting of all of this is within the plan and predestination of God. It's within God's sovereignty. That's a whole shift in perspective about persecution and about suffering. That is tough to do. And that's what the habit is of when these believers come together, they pray and then they trust. And all of this is kind of an internally oriented perspective, this first habit. It takes place among the people of God. They gather, they pray, they trust in God's providence. So I would just add to that a sense of we never want to look at ourselves as a believer and just say, it's me against the world. It's me, my Bible, and God against the world. 
It's the church. It's you, your Bible, God, along with all the other people that has their Bible and this with God that you're doing it with together. And so we come together, we pray together, we trust God together, and then we see the victory that takes place. The second habit that we see of, um, the, of an activated Christian is an externally oriented habit, and that is they speak the word with boldness. Some folks might be already be squirming, thinking, great, here I'm going to be told that I've got to go out and go door to door. I'm not necessarily saying that. Just hear what God's word actually says. It says that the habit of the activated Christian is to speak the word of God with boldness. Look at verse 29. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Now, again, what we see in these, uh, the second half of these verses of our scripture today, verses 29 to 31, is an interplay of both prayer and trust. So this is that prayer that's continuing together. But notice the trust that's kind of embedded in there, because what do they not pray for? They've already acknowledged that there has been persecution, of course, against Christ. And now they are talking about the persecution or they're united because of the persecution that took place against Peter and John. And what are they doing? They acknowledge the plan of the evil one, the greater plan of God the Father. And then what do they not pray for? They do not say, now, Lord, these folks over here that did this to us, strike them down. Lord, these people that threatened us, I judge them. Now, I'm not saying they aren't deserving of judgment, and I'm not saying that there's not a time to pray for judgment. But this is what I'm saying, is that when you look at the habit of this early church group, when these people come together and they continue in their prayer, their first response, and now, Lord, look upon their threats, as a result, grant to us to continue with, to speak the word, your word with all boldness. Wow. Again. Do your prayers sound like that? Lord, look at what has happened to me that is wrong, that is evil, that has been sent, you know, it would seem by design by the evil one. Lord, I know you're going to protect me and it's all part of your plan. And is the, are the next words of, of that kind of prayer, help me to speak your word with boldness because of it. Guilty right here. No, I stay down the line of they've wronged me. And we need to change our habits so that it's more in line with these, this early church group that, that then takes the threats and in the prayer transforms it into trust to say, Lord, make us, help me to speak your word with boldness. And then I want to skip down actually to verse 31. Look what happens here at the end. And, uh, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then what did they do? And continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So we have no reason whatsoever to think that the Holy Spirit is going to shake this gymnasium that we're in right now. The Holy Spirit worked in a very unique way in the very 
in the, in the early church where certain things happened that really haven't happened since. So we have no real expectation that, that at some point here in the next few minutes, this gym, the Holy Spirit's going to enter it and shake the walls. But can we not agree that as part of this New Testament church, every one of us that believes in Christ and is called a child of God is filled with the Holy Spirit, right? The Holy Spirit is here, and, and you are filled with that same Holy Spirit. We need to not look at that account and go, wow, that is a totally foreign concept to us. They had the Holy Spirit shake in the building, and then this special thing happened as a result of the Holy Spirit shaking the building. No, you are a building of Christ. You are a temple being built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ and on the foundation of the prophets and the apostles. And you are being built up and you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And what I want to point out as well, if you go back to verse 30, you see that, that what is between the two uh, accounts of boldness, both their request in verse 29 that says, grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, and then at verse 31 where it says that they actually did continue to speak in boldness. At verse 30 it says, after the request, it says, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. So again, I would say, we have no reason to think that the Holy Spirit is working in exactly that same way where we are going out and laying hands and performing healings and signs and wonders. But I would also ask you to consider this in the New Testament church. Do we not see marriages that are crumbling that are pulling apart at the seams, that are destined for complete failure, that when Christ enters the scene, they are reconciled. There is healing. There is love. There, 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 is, there is deference shown where once there was nothing but selfishness and bitterness and anger and demands. And can we not agree that a thief that would take at any moment he could, when he saw the opportunity, when Christ enters his life and he is filled with the Holy Spirit, he finds opportunities for restitution, even when the court hasn't told him that he has to do it. And we see in people's lives, when they are filled with the Holy Spirit, that a liar repents of, their, of his lies and, and just tells the truth. I must tell the truth. We see people that are gripped with addictions to alcohol, to drugs, to pornography, that are just living in these life-dominating sins. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, this verse 30 could apply just as equally to those people dealing with that, where it says, you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Lives are absolutely transformed because of the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit. Hearts filled with hate become hearts filled with love. People that are absolutely hopeless all of a sudden have all the hope they could possibly imagine People with battered and bruised consciences find peace. All of that only happens 
through the Holy Spirit, and that is as prevalent today and as accurate today as it was uh, at the very beginning of the church. So we never want to look at these things and go, wow, they got something really unique going on in that early church. You know, he, I mean, if the Holy Spirit's shaking walls, then that's, you know, like that's its own thing. It's not. You are a temple filled with the Holy Spirit that's being built up. And that means then, if all of these things in the middle there in verse 30 applies to your life, if you're a believer, then that means that the stuff on the outside applies to you, meaning the request to speak with boldness the word of God and that you might continue to do that. In closing, I, 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 just, I have to say, first of all, if you're on the left side of all those things that I just listed, you're in a marriage that is just, I mean, hanging by a thread. You're a filthy liar. You're a thief. Your, your, your conscience will not let you rest because you know that you have not repented of your sin. You are gripped by some addiction because you, the Holy Spirit does not have control of your life. Instead, you're filling those gaps, those desires, those idols in your heart, then the only solution is to be filled with the Holy Spirit, and that only comes through repentance and faith. You must repent of those sins, and then you apply your faith in the work of Jesus Christ to gain that salvation from God. That, that's the only way you even get the opportunity to be an activated Christian for God. For my brothers and sisters in Christ, that are on the right-hand side of that equation, or the right-hand side of those descriptors, you know what I'm talking about. You were on the left side, and you know the difference in your own life. Even when other people don't know who you were, but you know for a fact that you were that thief, you were that liar, you were that one with an unsettled conscience, you were the one just ready to just take off from the marriage and that you are no longer that person, but instead that you are filled by the Holy Spirit, then I want to remind you, you are not a sleeper agent. I am not, and you are not. We are in a foreign land for the, the entirety of our assignment here on this, on, this, on this earth, on this planet. But we are not waiting. We are not in standby mode to be activated when God says, gives us the nudge, hey, all right, now's the time. What we are supposed to be doing is making the habit of coming together and when we come together to pray to God and to trust and then when we are apart, we are to be praying and to trust and to do that by speaking with boldness the word of God. And I just want to say as well, when I say speak with boldness the word of God, I'm just talking about honest conversations. That's really what giving a testimony or, or um, uh, spreading the word of truth is about is honest conversations. When you have opportunities to talk about it, about Christ, then just do it. Just be honest. Remember when we looked last week at the, uh, that previous section and the, and they, the, um, um, 
the, uh, the leaders are the ones that came together and they, they put Peter and John in front of them and they're attacking them and you know, what gives you the right and uh, by whose authority and whose name do you do this? Remember how that ended? Look, they said, you wanna believe me, don't believe me. All I can tell you, you know, you wanna, I, you, whether we're gonna answer to God or answer to you, you think about that. And so you have that opportunity to land in that spot as well. They were just having an honest conversation. You wanna know whose name? I'll tell you whose name. It's Jesus. When somebody says, man, I love your kids. Your kids are the greatest. How do your kids get to be so obedient? Wow, well, look at your marriage. Oh, wow, you know, how do you have this ability in, uh, in your life? You know, where do these talents come from that you have? Boy, you're really good at A or you're really good at B. Every one of those is an opportunity to just have an honest conversation. Well, I got to tell you that any, I really can't boast because anything that I have did not come from me. Anything that I have was given to me. You're just speaking biblical language. You're having an honest conversation and an opportunity to direct it towards Christ. I'll close by reading Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14. Again, keep all of these concepts um, in mind, this idea, these habits, uh, the, the connection between coming together, praying and trusting, and then speaking boldly, praying and trusting. So Philippians chapter 1, verses 12 to 14 reads, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So just like our account in Acts, this is right on the heels, Paul is writing, this is right on the heels of him enduring persecution. And it's advanced the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Because of persecution, other people are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Be that person that speaks more boldly without fear, and in the same way, when you endure a little bit of pushback and a little bit of persecution, you're actually then inspiring others to be more bold to speak about the Word of God without fear. That's the habits of an activated Christian and that grows the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for showing us habits that matter. Lord, change our habits. Conform us into the image of the Son through these things. Help us, Lord, to be committed to coming together, both in homes, coming together on the Lord's Day for worship, coming together to pray for each other, lifting our voices up in prayer, and that tied to that is always a focus on expanding your kingdom and not on taking away all the pain that we endure. Help us to pray and to trust, to gather and to speak the word boldly. We make these requests to you in the name and the authority of your son, Jesus. Amen.